This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's talk pipelines. Which one is facing trouble this time? Well, the B.C. government has halted some construction on a section of the new LNG coastal gas link pipeline. So let's talk about that with Lawrence Gunther, the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing well. So, Lawrence, whenever we say the word pipeline, sometimes people's eyes and ears glaze over because there's a lot of pipelines that are hitting some roadblocks along the way here. So give me some more information. Remind me about which pipeline in particular Coastal GasLink is. Where in B.C. is this one being built? This one is specific to shipping natural gas offshore. So we want to sell this stuff, right? We, we have a plenty of supply of natural gas serving all of Canada, being pipelined all across Canada. There's no doubt about that. There's pipelines everywhere and redundant pipelines and new pipelines being built to move that gas from Alberta across Canada. This one, though, is uh, in the northern part of British Columbia. So they have they have fracking fields where they extract natural gas in the eastern northeastern part of British Columbia. They have to get it 672 kilometers across the mountains to the coast to Kitimat. It's about 100 kilometers north of Prince George. So Prince George is sort of right in the center of British Columbia. This is north of that. So it's it's pretty far up there. So in this case, work was stopped because of failure to meet a compliance agreement. What was that failure? Well, TC Energy is building the pipeline for uh, coastal gas links. Um, They were supposed to submit 32 plans to the B.C. government, 32 work plans on sensitive areas, how they were going to handle sensitive areas. You know, whether they did or whether they followed those plans, that's the problem. Uh, They were issued a fine in February of 2022 of about $75,000, another one this past summer of about $175,000 for, you know, they don't get fines and Unless there's problems. And they've obviously there's been a list of problems that are growing. You know, they start with letters, enforcement letters. You know, you must do this, you must do that. And if they don't, then the fines start to flow. And once the fines uh, don't seem to have effect, then they just say, stop working on these sections until you guys sort this out. So it's not the whole pipeline, but it's, it's, a, it's a sensitive part of the pipeline, about a 100-kilometer stretch that's being impacted, um, you know, through the mountains. That That's where we're talking about today. Lawrence, there are probably 27 million reasons on why environmental safeguards are important in the pipeline construction process. Why Mm. so significant? What are the ones that you would say are most significant? Well, you know, we have problems with our salmon on the West Coast, right? We have problems with salmon habitat. And we know salmon habitat, degradations in salmon habitat, is a huge contributor to why the population of many of the salmon species, many of the salmon runs are are diminishing. So when you have sediment being introduced into streams and rivers that the salmon need, like this is not, you know, just a general river. This is where the salmon end up. This is where they lay their eggs. This is where they do their spawning. This is where the eggs stay in the river, in the, in the rocks and, and, and uh, mature and then hatch. And then those little salmon fry come out of those eggs. When you have sediment being poured on top of them, like dirt, that doesn't bode well for the eggs. These mm-hmm. eggs need to have uh, oxygen 
flowing over the eggs, you know, from the water, clean water flowing over the eggs to produce, to, for the eggs to be viable, for them to actually live. And then if, if the sediment covers these spawning beds, the salmon can't really, they're not going to lay their eggs there because they're not going to just dump their eggs into a pile of dirt because they right. know they won't survive. Well, it's, right? like Dar so, it's like not Darwinian, like Darwinian, like any Darwinian thinking would hmm. say, no, I want to make my egg, I want to lay my eggs where they're going to live. Exactly. So, so they go somewhere else, and if there's nowhere else to go because everything from that point downstream is sedimented, that's a problem, right? Not key spawning beds are being destroyed. So this is the problem here. Mainly, it's it's the salmon. So it's one section of the economy impacting another section of the economy on either side, being with a huge environmental impact. So, Lawrence, here's the captain obvious question: Why aren't we just building these pipelines further away from key rivers? Well, it, it, that's a good question. And, you know, if picture this, though. You've got mountain ranges, like mountain after mountain after mountain, you know, rows and rows and rows of them. What does a river do? It finds the pass, path of least resistance through those mountains, around those mountains. So where does the oil uh, pipeline want to go? Path of least resistance. So it follows those same sort of canyons as the rivers are in. Now, that wouldn't be a problem if there was space, you know, sufficient space beside the river to move the pipeline over but you know when those mountains are pinched and close together and those rivers make up the whole cover the whole floor uh, of the, uh, the the whole horizontal area between the mountains they have to sort of cut into the bank you know of of the river uh, beside the river they cut into it with a plow you know dig it out they put the pipeline there and uh, and sometimes when they pile up that dirt it rains and that dirt sort of slumps back into the river or they're just not careful when they dig it out and and some of it dumps into the river this is where the problems are happening it's the just sloppy construction practices they're not taking their time they're not doing it properly hey sue me if you want you know but this is what i'm hearing <laughs> <laughs> my lawyer's still on uh, still on parental leave so uh, my lawyer oh, not oh, available boy. to help you uh lawrence let's get to some perspectives here some of these i think are going to be pretty straightforward but what do environmental groups have to say about this well, Conservation North has got their eyes all over this, and they're saying this is another blow to salmon habitat. You know, first we have deforestation with uh, logging practices that were in a large part for many, many, many years, not sustainably done. They were cut, cutting wood right up to the shore of these rivers. They were cutting down uh, um, logs and trees that were most meant to stabilize riverbanks. You cut them down and uh, the riverbank, you know, itself washes into the river every time it rains. Or you, you, you cut too many trees right next to the slope beside these rivers. And, and that every time it rains, the water runs down the side of the mountain through the few trees you leave beside the riverbank and into the into the river so you know you got the logging in the first step now you got this is another blow you know it's it's death by a thousand cuts right it just keeps piling up now the green party in bc they're also getting a little upset about this so they're calling for greater enforcement of the rules you know they want to see mm -hmm. uh, more action being taken so you know the government of british columbia is getting the heat on them that's for sure lawrence Correct me if I'm wrong here, but this was the this was the pipeline in question in regards to a lot of the Wet'suwet'en protests a couple of mm. years ago. So, what are First Nations representatives having to say about this matter? Well, you know, let's be clear: not all First Nations are uh, absolutely opposed to pipelines. There's lots of First Nations communities that uh, have gained from pipelines passing through their territory with with agreements with the pipeline companies. They're watching over. They're sort of the, the guardians. They're they get jobs out of it. They get economic, uh, you know 
payments from it, you know, that go on as a pipeline exists, they become sort of partners involved. But not all, not all First Nations and not all people in those communities believe in pipelines. So it's not, you know, black and white. That's what I'm trying to say here, right? It's not black and white that they're absolutely opposed to any pipeline ever happening anywhere in Canada. But when these pipelines leak, when these pipelines are installed badly, when these pipelines are not maintained properly, when they haven't you know, done the proper environmental assessment when they're planning where to put these pipelines. This is what the uh, uh, what Tuden are, are worried about. They're they're saying, look, you know, get your act together or or stop. You know, this is this is exactly what we're worried about. It's just you know companies coming in here and running uh, roughshod over over the the their 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 sacred grounds and their yeah. territory where they where they fish and hunt and live. It, when people are exploring the notion of a balanced approach to natural resource extraction, even fossil fuels as we are perhaps transitioning in the next couple of decades away from them, this is where regulation comes into it, right? This, this, at the heart of this conversation is regulation to say there is an economic benefit for Canada to continue to export natural resources, but you cannot do it if you're letting companies essentially just do whatever the heck they want to do, whether it be the open coal pits in places like Alberta, you and I have talked about that before, whether it be shoddy construction on pipelines like this running through important natural resource corridors, that if we're going to take a balanced approach, the approach actually needs to be properly balanced. But Lawrence, you elaborated to it a little bit there, but the economic case, the necessity in moving natural gas to the coast. What is that economic necessity? You know, there, there's the, the natural gas shortage in Europe, right? We had the uh, uh, Prime Minister President of Germany over here not so long ago looking for natural gas. We, You know, there's a market for this stuff, right? There is a market for natural gas. There's no doubt about it. It's, um, it's cheap for us to produce. We have abundant supply of it. You know, we used to think of it as just as waste. We just used to gas it off and fire it off so we yeah. could burn it away so yeah. we get the oil out of the ground. It was just in the way. Then we found a way to sell it and we called it natural gas. Well, it's it's a fossil fuel, right? It's just another fossil fuel that when you burn it, it creates carbon. And Dave, you and I have talked about this with kitchen appliances and, and Vancouver and Quebec, you know, all moving away from natural gas for heating homes, heating water, appliances, you know, water heaters, stoves, dryers, things like that. It's another fossil fuel we got to get under control. So, you know, there's problems with that. And there's also problems with the extraction technique of, of natural gas, this isn't just, you know, drill a hole in the ground and poof, it starts shooting out yeah, like a big yeah. uh, gusher. This is when the, where they go in, drill a hole and then slam hydraulic fluids full of marbles and other rocks and, and chemicals yeah. to bust up the rock underground to get the gas to flow through the cracked rocks so that they can mine the gas all around that hole so that it flows towards that hole and then they can suck it out of there. And that's pretty destructive too, you know, that 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 fracking process. Oh, the, the, you know. the fresh water supply gets gets incre mm. gets put incredibly in danger by the fracking process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But so there's a market. There's people who want to make money at it. You know, like our coffers are getting filled up again with tax revenues from oil and gas sales. So. Uh, you know, we're benefiting from that as well in terms of lower deficits by our government because the coffers, you know, more money flowing in. It, there's there's yeah. challenges there. But, you know, for sure, Dave, like, you know, we've got the cop meetings going on now. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's all sorts of evidence, all sorts of evidence that we need to get ourselves off this fossil fuel. So, you know, where do you start, right? The Europeans are starting 
big time. They're really pushing forward with their uh, renewable energies. We know in the United States they're pushing for it because you know what? Turns out renewable energy is the cheapest way That's to right. produce electricity. That's imagine, imagine that. Imagine that stuff that self-sustains <laughs> is cheaper than having to get out dinosaur bones from the ground. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence, I think I think that there's some folks like who would listen to this conversation and they'd be ticked off at us because they think we're taking like too much of a middle ground here. But the reality is like there is some complexity to this. And I think you've represented both sides of the conversation quite nicely here. And again, people will be mad at us irrespective and irregardless. Uh, Lawrence, oh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in this room and I was listening. I don't know if it was a new episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther or just a highlight, but it was you talking people through building a great campfire and i said to eliza through the talk back button i've never i wish in my life i could care about something as much as lawrence gunther cares about making a fire i was just <laughs> gobsmacked by how much fun you were having describing making a great campfire and i that speaks to what a great job you do as a host of outdoors with lawrence gunther so what's coming up on the most recent episode well, Dave, it's uh, it's silly things, but you know, GPS. What's going on in the world of GPS and off-grid navigation? A little update on that, and. Um I'm going to open up my ad locker and I'm going to talk about all the different types of gloves I use. Oh my why. gosh. Oh my gosh. You see the passion just shines on through. Hey Lawrence, all the best to you. Thank you for exploring this issue with us today. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Dave, have a great week. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can find that show and its initial airing Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and you can follow Lawrence on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.